Congratulations on listening to this new episode of Blast Points. You have chosen wise, and we value your discerning taste in deciding to spend some time listening to a product of real quality. Everything in this episode has been designed to meet the exacting standards you have come to expect. The audio in the episode has been quality graded to give you the finest in listening pleasure. There is little or no offensive material expect for talk of the creatures of Jabba's palace. You can relax and enjoy this quality product secure in the knowledge that it has been created for the lover of fine things and a person of good taste. Oh sorry, you can edit that out, can't you? Yeah, sure, no problem. Thank you. interrupting something you guys are you guys sound weird no not really no we're we're just doing episode 323 here i mean i'm i'm i could be wrong but just from just from the hello like it just it just sounds weird are you like were you up to something were you doing something weird this episode Uh, i guess i guess we are now (laughs) good okay then i didn't miss it ladies and gentlemen mr tom spina Tom, how are you doing here tonight? I'm I'm doing all right. I uh I I'm just happy to be here as always. Excited to talk about weird and interesting Star Wars things. And uh yeah, what what do we what do we have in store for the folks today? Well, Tom, today in episode 323 here of Blast Points, we thought we would Share with everyone who couldn't be there in the Star Wars Celebration panel of the century, which was at 2 p.m. in the Twin Suns room. I hear it was the place to be. You know, it really was the place to be. You talk to anybody that was there, and it's like their life before that panel (laughs) and after that panel. Let me tell you, I, you know, it really, really was nice. This is all completely genuine here. After all this <laughs> silliness, it was genuinely so nice to hear how many people came up and said that, like, that was the best panel they had seen. And I'm just like, oh, you know, that's good. Was the rest of the show good? They're like, no, no, I mean, ever. You know, <laughs> like, there's like a lot, like, a surprising number of people kept would say stuff like that. And it was just really nice to hear. Lots of people thought it was like, a highlight of the show for them, one of their, their favorite things. And I hope that, that they tell the read folks that and the celebration folks that so that they know this is the kind of content people really dig. And I, I'd love to, I hope we have the chance to do some more of it. We've, you know, 
that was a long time coming and we uh, uh it was it was so nice to share that with everybody and it just it's nice that it was well received so today is our chance to give the folks that couldn't be there for this life-changing <laughs> um, in all modesty panel to get a taste of what it was like maybe without the visuals but we'll we'll talk them through we'll describe what we can and and maybe leave out a few key things that Kirk Thatcher said and then you know, just just give them that that much of the experience. They can imagine Kirk Thatcher there. <laughs> That's right. Just well, one of us will have to put a captain's hat on. I feel like it's got to be one of you guys. <laughs> the, the Hawaiian shirt and a captain's hat, and let's just do this. You know. <laughs> yeah, you can pretend I have the I have the captain's hat on. So as far as you know, I'm wearing it right now and a Hawaiian shirt. I, and and as far as we know, that's that's true. So um, I. I thank you for that, you know, for your, this is, this is what we need. This is the dedication that you guys bring to this show. And this is why people tune in 300 and was it 23? Three, 323. 323. To, so 322 times prior, people have tuned in. <laughs> yeah. And up till now, they, they've clearly had a good experience if they're back. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, now, I, now that I've said this out loud, I'm feeling a bit of pressure. Uh, frankly, uh, because now I, I feel like we've got to deliver on this. Well, we're giving the people what they want. We there was no recording. We it couldn't have been record. It was it was such it was the place to be. You had to. <laughs> you couldn't. You couldn't even fit a recorder in there with all those people. It was so crowded. There were people sitting in the aisles. There were people hanging from the ceiling. It was insane. <laughs> it was. I, it really. It, you know. It's funny. The when I walking up, someone had mentioned to me, they were like, oh, you know, they cut off the line like a half hour ago. And uh, that's that was genuinely surprising and impressive to me. And and it took it was funny. We started and the room didn't look filled, but it, full, but it, it was because they were still trying to get people in and seated. I, and I guess it's because there wasn't a ton of time between the, the, the two panels or whatever. But. It was really impressive how like four or five minutes in, all of a sudden it was like, oh, no, I like I literally can't see the, the end of people. There's just I see the people and then there's there's more people. People just love creatures. They really do. It's a huge part of Star Wars. Yeah. Star Wars fans like creatures and they like behind the scenes stuff about creatures. And the panel had that's what the panel had. And that's what people love. We had a lot going for us in that regard. Good point. <laughs> So before we get started on the audio version of the panel of the century, the creatures of Return of the Jedi, Tom, what's uh, what's new? What's going on at Regal Robot? What do the people need to know? What are what are the haps over there? Oh gosh, I gotta tell you, yeah, both both companies right now are super busy. We got uh, you know Tom Spina Designs uh, and Regal Robot. Go to the websites TomSpinaDesigns.com, RegalRobot.com. Follow us at Tom Spina Designs at Regal Robot. And see all the fun stuff we're getting to do. Uh, there's, yeah, uh, we're, we're doing a bunch of, right now we're doing some Halloween-ish stuff for a theme park. And that's going to be real cool. Some outdoor decor pieces. And, and that's always fun. Big fabrication and foam work is just a lot of fun. So we've got that going. We've got some really cool restorations going. Uh, we have um, a ton of stuff going for Regal Robot. They just finished some Tauntaun one-to-one busts. They uh, are just wrapping up, I think, five of the life-size Chewbacca busts that we do. They were putting the last mustache hair on them today. That means tomorrow I have to become the Wookiee stylist 
of the stars and come out because I go in and I do the the final trim on all of those personally. And then they have another five that they've just started uh, beyond that. So like while while uh, two people are working on hair work on them, I had two other people who were working on casting the torsos and the heads for the next ones. We have a ton of stuff that's in the works. We we debuted a lot of stuff at the show that people could see for the first time. Gaffy sticks, the life-size Tuscan Raider bust, a lot more maquettes. But uh, a lot of that stuff, you know, isn't quite out yet. Almost there. Almost there. And uh, we will we'll be debuting that stuff probably, I, I would say the Tuscan Raider bust and at least one new maquette will be out very, very soon. You know, certainly not months, maybe, you know, four or six weeks. There's there's always the final hurdles of approvals with Disney and uh, Lucasfilm and even things like the website approvals and stuff that just take a little longer every time. And you th- you're you just like, oh, we're almost there. But as as soon as those goes, uh, go up, we'll be sending out the e-blasts and anybody who's on our mailing list can get those. And then we'll obviously put it on social. So those are all exciting. And this is just I don't, I don't want to put this on you guys, but. Uh, at the moment that we're recording this, uh, Rob and Sean from the stop, uh, shop, Rob, who helps me run things, Sean, who's our lead digital guy right now, are at Skywalker Ranch right now. They were texting me from Lake Ewok earlier, overlooking Skywalker Sound, uh, and they are there at the archives, and they are uh, scanning more of the Return of the Jedi maquettes uh, for our lineup there, and a few other cool things that we have uh, in the works. So, you know, I could have gone on that trip. And I and I told you guys that and you were like, but Tom, you have to record this podcast. And I said, I could do that from Skywalker Ranch. And they said the fans need the authentic Tom in his home office experience. You know, it's just basically it's for you that I'm here. And I don't mean the fans. No offense. I mean, you, too. Uh, I I mean, I blame you. I mean, I'm harboring. some ill will at the moment but uh, you know whatever this is fine this is fun this is fun too it's probably as fun there's no way sean and rob are having more fun than this right they're probably asleep already <laughs> yeah, they, they actually they had a long day they did a lot of work this today there so uh as as great as it is they're they're not getting a free ride <laughs> it's <laughs> We sent their, them there with a massive to-do list. It's You don't go to the archives willy-nilly. Like, if you're going to be there, you're like, okay, we're making the most out of this, you know? This is very serious business we're doing here. This, Tom, this is episode 323. 23, 323. Yeah. I'm sure everyone at the Lucasfilm archives, if you said, you know, hey, do I go there or do I do episode 323 with Blast Points? They're going to be, you've got to do Blast Points. They're, they're going to go, well, look, if it was 315, maybe, maybe you go. <laughs> 320, you consider it. You know, 323, no, no, no. You do that. You, you do the podcast. No, you're right. I, and, I, and I didn't think of it in those terms, and I, I apologize. Max Rebo, Red Ball Jet, the internet sensation of 2022 is still available, correct? That's correct. We have so the the uh, signature edition, which we had at the show, sold out immediately every day like crazy. Um, and then we did debut shortly after that, the numbered edition. I believe about a hundred and change of those are gone so far. Um, it is an edition of 250. Uh, we are painting every single one of those in-house in our New York shop. Uh, 
Max and Sydney uh, were painting some of those today. Melissa was painting them uh, earlier this week, and uh, Matt was painting the, the little red balls on the base uh, also today because that's someone's job at our place. <laughs> Who, what are you? I'm the red ball painter. Like it's red ball jet. Someone's got to paint the balls, you know. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you know. So and and what's nice is on all of these maquettes, we're trying to keep the addition sizes high enough so that these are not things that. Uh, you know, so that they're moving and obviously they're going to sell through, but it's not like you have 10 minutes to order this, you know, like I, I want this to be a collection people can, can get into and not have to worry like, oh, well, if I get the first one, I'm never going to get the rest of them because they're, you know, putting out such small amounts. So it's really cool. And, and there's so much ahead for this lineup. I, you know, so far we've got, we've got a Tauntaun maquette, uh, which is about 50 left. We've got the Gamorrean fighter maquette that tony mcveigh sculpted for uh the mandalorian season two that's still around uh the job of the hut maquette did sell out and then we've got the max rebo going but so there's already four of them out there um and yeah many more to come and and what's just really cool is the lineage of all this stuff you know the the tauntaun and the gamorian are right out of the original molds the uh, Jabba was reconstructed from you know firsthand examination of that real thing max is scanned off the real uh maquette all the rest of these are all scanned right off of the real maquettes i mean look you can't go in to the archives and look there's all of those maquettes are in the same shelving unit and you literally like with your head you pan across like the shot in from star wars to jedi and like you're just like do 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 like you can hear it in the back of your head and like you know, Gene Lauren comes walking by. It's like, make way, pig in transit, and like push you out of the way, you know, and you're just like, what? What's happening? Where am I? Um, but it really, it's trippy to see these things. They're, they're to be, they're, there's this weird direct connection to the production that comes out of those things. And I mean, it's really, it's hand in hand with what we're, we're talking about tonight, right? Like, it's the creation of these creatures. It's the first spark in uh, the Dr. Frankenstein's lab that brought all of these monsters to life. And to me, those things are just so magical because of that. And there's uh, to be able to go in there and get hands on them and to scan them and then to reproduce them so tight to the original is just really cool. And if people can't tell, I'm very excited about this line and I can't wait to, to get more of them out there. It was so cool watching light and magic too, and seeing a lot of those maquettes show up in that. Yeah, there was a great shot of Phil with with Max in there. There's the the cool thing to, you know, I mean, we'll yeah, we'll talk specifically about Max later, I'm sure, but uh but yeah, that that whole series was just incredible. Unbelievable. And just such a spotlight on the things that we all love so much, the heroes behind the scenes of the 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 movies that we love. I could go on forever, and we will eventually. But Yeah, I think that's its own episode, huh? <laughs> <laughs> or six. Return of the Jedi. From the desert fortress of Jabba the Hutt. Jedi. To the Death Star of the Galactic Empire. To the forest city of the Ewoks. This is the climactic chapter in the Star Wars saga. Remember the Force. Rejoice in the triumph. 
Return of the Jedi, rated PG. Now playing at a theater in your galaxy. So, speaking of kind of light and magic, you know, like, Phil Tippett, really kind of the a breakout star of that entire documentary. It's Phil Tippett's world right now, and we're just living in it. I love that in Rinsler's making of Return of the Jedi book, there's a whole part in there where Lucas basically, like, what, goes to Phil and is kind of like, hey— well, how do you feel about running the Return of the Jedi creature shop? We want to do like the creature shop in-house this time, right? Because it's the famous thing with Return of the Jedi that like in from Star Wars to Jedi that, you know, George was always disappointed with the cantina. And now it's the, the creature shop of Lucas's dreams or whatever it is. And Phil was kind of the guy in charge of all that. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think, I think there's there's really something to be said about that. I think you know Phil has a really unique sensibility when it comes to creature stuff. He got to bring some of that to Star Wars and you know certainly more so in the chess department than even in the the cantina. Although he did get to do some some good stuff with the cantina obviously, but he's working off other people's designs at that point. And by the time you get to Jedi, he is not just running the shop but when you go through the maquettes, and one of the things we've been doing in this this maquette project of ours is trying to figure out who who sculpted each maquette and talking to all of these guys. And uh, we have since, and this is even since our panel, have since learned, you know, some, uh, we've put names to a bunch of these. And when you look through Phil's list, I mean, like, I'm just going to throw some of these out. I just pulled up an image in front of me of, of my, I have like a little keynote document here where I've been tracking who who did what sculpt. Chris Wayless has some really great ones, but Phil has the two snail-like, two human, and just right Jabba's. Max Rebo, he's got Admiral Akbar, Cy Snoodles, Bib Fortuna, Six Six, Bubo, The Rancor, Hermiotl, and Ephantmon. And Maybe they're winners because they were his and he was in charge. So he really pushed them through. But George picked them all. And he's, you know, these are all amazing, strong, crazy good designs and so varied and so different. And to look at them on one page and just be like, one person did all of this, probably in a span of almost no time, too. It's impressive as hell. Uh, and And even compared to, you know, when I start looking through the the other sculptors a lot of times you can sort of peg people you can kind of say like oh okay those are similar or these are similar but phil's are just all over the place and wild and and i mean it's a testament to his uh creative genius uh, let's just say it well and all that it is funny too then even going back to to like the Rinsler book where his quote about that of setting up the creature shop even was that he's saying he's a, he was a stop motion animator. What do I know about running a creature shop? Right. You know, starting from a place like that, but ending up kind of taking over and yeah, designing so many iconic designs. It's, it's impressive as hell. I, it really is. And, you know, as you start to go through them and as you start to see, you know, how they developed and, and, it's it's also the the other thing. It's you know if you're a good leader, you got to hire good people. And he brought in a really great team of people, and they uh, it, with varied skill sets. 
and they approached, you know, they didn't have a set approach on these creatures. You know, there was no like, oh, well, this is how it has to be done. It was literally what's the best for this. And he upscaled a bunch of his, you know, fabrication stuff from stop motion to full scale and combined that with traditional molding cast. And so they were able to do these really oversized monsters and these really big things that, you know, they were not unheard of techniques, but they were a little unorthodox compared to some other stuff that was being done at the time. And, and you know, certainly compared to uh, when you start looking at the cantina scene or, or you know, the Empire uh, bounty hunters or whatever versus these aliens, they really pushed the envelope on these things. And they did a lot of weird and unique and interesting stuff. And I love, too, that, like, yeah, in the Rinzer book – was it Phil is talking that he's like, he had a real fear going in of it all being kind of substandard and, you know, and here we are almost 40 years later, still studying it, worshiping it. You're doing a whole maquette line based on the concepts. It's just, it's amazing. I I don't know how to break it to you, Phil, but you did. Okay. (laughs) You know, I'll, I'll let him know. You know, like. So what we're basing this whole thing off of, what we're going to be going through, is this creature list document, right? That is from the production of Return of the Jedi, correct? Like, w- this is something that Pablo discovered. Did I have that right? Yeah. And and it sparked the hunt for Weeba Weeba. <laughs> oh, here we go. Weeba Weeba. Because it had... You know, it had all these names that we knew. It was Rees and Mon Calamari and Red Ball Jet, which, of course, we knew was uh, or, or found out was uh, Max Rebo. Prune Face, Amana Man slash Banana Man. Um, you know, so all of these we could figure out except for Weeba Weeba. So we will talk about her a little later, I'm sure. Well, And there's a whole mystery, too, with the... The classic moment from everybody's second favorite making of Return of the Jedi documentary, Classic Creatures, where Carrie Fisher lists off all the incredible people she got to work with on Return of the Jedi. Re-yeast, Toothface, Squidhead, Bubo, Six-Six, Hermioodle, Yakface, the Toadstool Terror, Rock, Wart, Nikto, Weeba Weeba, Ulan Woof. I worked with all those creatures, had lunch with them, let some of them borrow my hair dryer. It sent people on kind of a tailspin of like, okay, we know who Reese is. We know, like you said, we know an Anamana man. What is Weeba Weeba? Somehow we figured out that Woof was the uh, Klaatu, you know, like that kind of thing. Like there's somehow all of that filtered out, but Weeba Weeba never did. And it's just, yeah, it's wild. And, and you know, it's years later that that's discovered and that's the magic of this stuff that we can continue to dig into it and yet still find new stuff all the time. Um, Like how great is that? So keep listening people, because by the end of this podcast, we will reveal what we revealed in Anaheim at 2 PM in the twin sons room. It was the place to be. It was the place to be. Who exactly who Weeba Weeba really is. And you might be shocked. You might be surprised. There were gasps. There really were. <laughs> in the audience of at 2 p.m. in the Twin Sons room, the place to be. The place to be. When yeah. we revealed the true identity of Weeba Weeba, people were. <gasps> 
Uh, yeah. Well, we we needed one of those like '50s B movie, uh, like the nurse outside. Like, if you feel faint at any time during the revelation of Weeba Weeba, uh, please don't be brave. See the nurse and let her take care of you. You know. Maybe not. Maybe not in London. But the next U.S. celebration, we have to have nurses outside. That's right. Possibly something <laughs> so shocking could be revealed. You may. Your body may not be able to handle it. Well, before we get to the list, though, before we get to the list, right, there were a lot of creatures that were designed that are amazing that are not part of this list, that weren't even in Return of the Jedi. And I know, like, in, in on Sunday in the Twin Suns room at 2 p.m. The place to be. We had visual aids for this, but we just got to go over some anyways because they're incredible, especially Cobra Woman, yeah, and what's neat there – so, yeah, Cobra Woman's one of the maquettes, unrealized. However, they actually did start to realize it, and they uh, there is a, a thing that – and so this is, this is where the prop community overlaps kind of in a neat way with this sort of research. Um, years back, Stuart Freeborn was retiring. He and his wife Kay were moving to a small cottage. They had been in this uh, this larger home – with a number of greenhouses and the greenhouses was where he had his workshops and he had boxes and boxes stored in there of different things from 50 years of makeup history. And in one of the boxes, perhaps more than one, there were some really neat return of the Jedi things. And one of those was a prototype headpiece for Cobra woman. And it, it is a sculpt very accurate to the maquette uh, it doesn't yet have the pincers on it or anything like that, but it is it is the cowl for Cobra Woman, and it's a really weird thing to have discovered. And even cooler that you know the right people were involved so that we were able to look at that and and know what it was and figure out what it was and to be able to preserve that thing because there's a lot of times where effects guys retire and there's boxes of stuff like this and it just gets tossed because nobody knows what the heck it is. Wasn't it helpful that it said Cobra Woman written on it? Yes, it was. <laughs> but like, you know, you're you're sitting there and this is in boxes with all kinds of random stuff from other movies. It's like this like is this from some TV series? Is this whatever? But yeah, it was carved into the interior on the bottom was Cobra Woman, which is indeed very helpful. <laughs> um, but I think I found a clue. Right. Yeah. We, you know, at the time we didn't know there was a Cobra Woman maquette, like not not in like instant recall anyway. You know, we had to go hunting. But then the other one that was recognizable but weird is uh, Stuart did a take on Admiral Akbar, and this must have been just earlier in the process. He did a pass on that, and it's it looks to be foam latex, which is was Stu's main medium, and it looks much more like the maquette. Than Phil Tippett's final sculpt does, but it doesn't necessarily look enough like the maquette to get an okay, I guess, is what I would say nicely. It's neat and it's real cool, and it was it was really neat to see, but it was uh yeah, it was it was definitely uh, an interesting find, to say the least. And speaking of Freeborn, wasn't there a whole thing where before they were going into Jedi, they were kind of like, hey, Stuart, what do you still have left? Yes. And I and in two P, at 2 p.m. in the Twin Suns room at our panel, it was the place to be. It was the place to be. There was 
a photo we showed of just like a table with the leftover mass from the cantina, right? And Lucasfilm kind of was like, was like that one, that one, not that one, that one. And what's neat is Stewart had copies of that photo. There were a couple of photos taken. He did like a side view and a front view of this table with a bunch of masks laid out. It was only later that looking through Lucasfilm's image archives, we found the same image, but with things crossed out. And so it was that was this kind of conversation. Stewart took the picture, sent them to Lucasfilm. They sent back a like a Xerox version of it with things crossed out. So it was like, oh, okay, they want this one, they want that one, they want this one. And you know, sure enough, all the ones that were were circled and good to go turn up in Return of the Jedi somewhere in the background, which is just neat. Yeah, so like any like the Rodians or like the Snaggletooths or whatever, they were just the old freeborn from the Cantina heads. Yeah. Straight up reuse. Yeah, the the walrus man head turns up with that weird different hair and the spikes and the the little tusky things around his face and all of that. No one still no one knows when that got modified as as weird as as that is. And we you know, it definitely happened between the holiday special and the the start of Return of the Jedi. But uh, but yeah, Walrus Man just looks real weird now. <laughs> and and no one knows exactly when that happened or why. Which is weird because, yeah, we've done, we had you on and we were talking about the Richard Pryor mm. show skit. And we've looked at the holiday special and yeah. Yeah, I don't know. He's got like eyelashes. It's tough to tell in the picture that we shared in the Twin Sons room, the place to be. But the, it, it, you know, when you see it and, and the mask exists and it's still in the archives. And if you look up, you know, any shots of it when it was on tour, um, you can see it's the paint is weird. He's got these weird, big, bushy eyelashes hanging over his eyes. He's got these like little kind of bug like spikes coming off of his head. He's got little tusks on the side of his face. It's just strange. Yeah, no idea. Perhaps it was something where they were trying to plus it up or just make it look different so they could reuse it. Uh, because he was such a kind of known character, but I don't know. But yeah, it is neat, you know. Even even the uh, the Ugnot showing up, and uh, and and you know, with with the yellow lenses, the bubble lenses thrown on there, and and in the picture on Stewart's thing, he took a bit of you know Ewokish fur and made a little collar for him that I don't think actually got used, but I think they just kind of stuck it on there so that it would look a little more interesting for the pictures. Now, now we know that Ugnaughts have, I guess, have hairy chests. That's right, or at least furry necks. <laughs> Is that worse? I feel like that's worse. Well, and not included on the list, but definitely worth talking about, is the mounted Tauntaun head and the Jerba head. And and there's, yeah, there's more reuse for you, right? It's, you know, George, George wasn't, uh, George was frugal. <laughs> If I'm not mistaken, the Jerba didn't have horns before. That was their one addition. For some reason, they put these kind of big twirly horns on them. Um, and my company got to remake those actually for uh, for Book of Boba. We did uh, the the Jerba mount and the Tauntaun mount to go on the wall. And it's if you get one of our Tauntauns, it's actually out of the the life size Tauntauns we do. It's out of those same exact molds, which is neat. And and um, I was so glad they asked us to do that. I was so glad they stuck to the Jerba and didn't just go like, oh, well, you know, it's a few years later. You could put anything on that wall. It's like, no, it's it's got to be the Tauntaun and Jerba. Like they're it's just they're both so weird. Well, and that's one of the cool things with all of these Return of the Jedi creatures, too, is that so many of them 
are living on in the new shows, like between Mandalorian and Book of Boba, a lot of these creatures are 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 back and they're they're still people still love them and you guys are lucky enough to get to recreate some of them. Yeah, pretty pretty Fun, fun little gig when you get to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, it is to me, it's, it's almost a gimme, you know, if you're, if you're doing a Star Wars show, you've got this rich history of aliens. How do you not take advantage of that and plug those guys in? And, and it's, it's just an instant way to tie yourself to that universe and to give people uh, a, a grounding, you know, give them a sense of, of, yeah, this is the same universe. You're comfortable here. You're good here. It's always so great when you can see, you know, some old species come back uh, in any way. It's just, it's a treat. Like the band playing one of their hits. It's like, you gotta, you gotta throw a few of those in there. One of the great things about George, where he was just like totally inclusive and would meet with us once a week and say, make me a bunch of stuff. And we'll get together and we'll look at it. And we built like these little maquettes out of clay and Sculpey. And we paint these up and, and uh, bring them in. And George would look at them. He said, okay, these I like. And, and he'd look at one and go like, so what's this? And he'd go like, eh, that's a calamari man. And he'd go like, this is Admiral Akbar. Pink. <laughs> and, uh, and then so he would start weaving this stuff into the, into the script that they were building. Okay, so let's go into the Jedi creature list. We got number one, Reese. Parentheses, three eyes. What can we say about Reese? He's got three eyes. Mm. Uh, so one thing that we know now know, um, and, and this will probably be true for a bunch of these early ones, uh, but Reese was actually a Chris Wayless sculpt, the maquette, and. You know, the maquette and the, the the final are extremely close on this one. His his mouth and his nostrils are maybe a little bigger. Other than that, you know, they they just really, really stuck to Chris's design on it. And it's because it's really well realized. Like even as a, a little four or five inch uh tall maquette, it's a damn good piece of art. <laughs> um it's a beautiful little sculpt. And Reese is super cool where his species start was popping up a lot in the prequels. I right like in the pod race audience and Sassmouth and Bail Organa. Yeah, it was nice that we got a Reese that has dialogue in Attack of the Clones finally. It's what the people have always <laughs> wanted. Um but yeah, it's and it, it's it is kind of cool. And again, that's there's your there's your gimme for the prequels, you know, and they did a good job of that. They had plenty of new aliens, but they pulled in a lot of these and they did some really neat interpretations of them, especially by the time you get to Attack of the Clones. You know, they're the the Nikto and and uh, and I think they had a Klaatu in that one as well. And, and you know, they kind of pop up around in a bunch of places. And it's just like the the thing that always that I always think about is. Just try and find someone who didn't get a lot of screen time. You know, there's so many great aliens that even if you want to say, oh, that was in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, but there's so many that you barely saw. Like, pull them out. Let's let's give these guys a little moment in the spotlight. 
Yeah, the humans keep showing up in all the movies, so. Yeah, yeah, right? Like, if we can if we can run into Skywalkers all the time, we can certainly get ourselves a, an Elam or something like that. One of my favorite things about Reese, though, we got to talk about really quick, his hands. His hands are incredible. Yeah, very unique. Which there's that great photo of Reese covering 3PO's mouth. You know, you know where that is? Um, it is behind Jabba when they drop the curtain on Han and Leia. And if you watch the movie, it's in there. And, you know, so that's Reese was keeping him from giving away that they were waiting behind the curtain. And, you know, luckily that he's programmed so that if someone covers his mouth, he can't talk. It's like your, it's like your cell phone when you try to like, it thinks it's next to your head. So you can't touch the buttons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, exactly, it's exactly like that. Yeah, there's there's a little optical sensor. There's just it's like, oh, nope, I'm covered. Can't talk. But yeah, that is there. And if you go back and watch the movie, you can actually see it. They just don't do a close up on it. But amazing stuff. All right, number two on our list: Mon Calamari, parentheses Calamari Man, also Admiral Akbar. Uh, Phil Tippett design. The neatest thing about that is the is the 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 Stuart Freeborn version that we were talking about earlier. Kirk Thatcher painted those guys, I think, except for Akbar himself. I believe Phil painted Akbar and then gave uh, Kirk Thatcher free reign to do whatever he wanted on the other four or five of those that they had. I know we're talking about the mask, but I've always loved their shoes. <laughs> they just have sensible shoes. They're very practical fish uh, people. You know, all the size and mass to their forearms and their their flippery hands and giant heads. They have really human small feet. <laughs> it is impressive. <laughs> the thing I always love about Admiral Akbar, and it's a, it's a very Return of the Jedi kind of thing, is like in the Rebel briefing room scene when you see him walking in, and then when we cut to. The puppet, like, we can see here the Death Star. You've already seen him walking in. So at no time when he's talking and his, his flipper hand is flopping around, do you ever really think that that's a puppet? Even if we know you've watched the behind, you've watched from Star Wars to Jedi, you know it's a puppet, but you, be, you believe it because you just saw him walking in the room. It is the magic trick equivalent is, you know, when you you knock on the, the table to show it's solid before you make something penetrate the table. You know, it's you you've just demonstrated the thing is what you want people to believe it is. And then you pull a fast one after after the edit. It's just it's yeah, it's such a cool magic trick. And the Mon Calamari design, it's it's amazing how that's just like a Star Wars creature that just won't quit. It's just Oh yeah. It's so cool. It's so insane. It is. It's bonkers. And it's huge. The heads on those things are massive. That's that's I think that would be the one takeaway for anybody who hasn't seen this stuff up close in, in like in real life, is the scale of all of these things. And to know that these things are made with giant thick thick plaster molds that weigh hundreds of pounds in some cases. It's really shocking and surprising how big and massive these things really are. Number three on our list, tooth face. Speaking of big and massive, giant noggin on this guy. And that's a, a, another Chris Wayless one. 
I, I feel like the original I've, I've never asked Chris about this and I'd love to. I feel like the maquette to me has a sort of early 1900s kind of turn of the century first encounter with Eskimos kind of vibe about it. Like, you know, someone took an old black and white photo of a guy with, you know, leathery skin and, and, and squinted eyes from the sun and a big furry hood. And they said, all right, take that and put a couple of big teeth on it. And there we go. You know, there's, there's a weird, there's, there's a cool vibe about that maquette. That is a good point though, that the, there's something about the fur, like the density of the fur on the maquette that gives it a real different feel than the more kind of creepy, creepy old man hair on the, on the actual suit. Total creepy old man hair. Well, and I think a lot of that comes from the fact that on the big one, they were using, you know, they're, they were working within a budget. It looks like the body fur on that is, is nothing more than typical shag fur. So, you know, two or three inch long hair, stuff you can get at a craft store or fabric store. They weren't using a, a big tied suit or a dense hair uh, uh, thing like you would have on Chewbacca which is a very expensive process to do. It does look like the, you know, uh, that mask is, has a lot of punched hairs, probably yak hair or horse hair from the look of it. It's been a little while since I got to see him, but um, uh, I, I think to yak face who has a similar sort of hair uh, punch kind of going, Judy Elkins did a lot of that. Um, and I'm sure we could talk to her someday and, and, uh, I think she'd be a lot of fun to chat with and she could probably fill us in more on that. But when you are punching hair on a giant mask like that, you're never going to get that, that density (laughs) that you're seeing on the maquette. So creepy old man hair it is. And I love two-faced his, his alternate name, Whippid, right? Yeah. Or Whiffid. I don't know. I was, I was, I always said Whippid, but I looked at it recently and I think it's actually a PH. With it, with it good. That's what I Oh, uh, there you go. I do like that he has, like, he's got a belt and some pouches. Like, so he's got stuff. Like, he has things that he that are important to him that he carries around with him. Snacks. Fruit snacks. He's, he's a responsible adult creature. Yeah. But, like, that's neat, you know, because not, not every alien gets that. It's true. A lot of them just show up at Jabba's Palace buck naked. Yeah, well, like, he could have been there like that, but, like, they gave him a little belt and a couple of pouches, like, okay, that settles it down. He's not naked now. Perfect. Okay, up next, in this list, just titled, in quotes, too, no one else is in quotes, The Mole. Another Chris Wayless uh, piece, and another one where you have the, the dense hair on the maquette, which I don't know if we had a picture of the maquette for this. Uh, the maquette's really cool. It's got a lighter kind of blonder hair on it, but it's that same kind of dense fur that's on the uh, on the toothpaste. But again, on the on the the final, very long, probably horse hair again or something along those line uh, lines. Uh, and again, you know, kind of the old man hair, the wispy, really just creepy, <laughs> gnarly hair. It's kind of gross. <laughs> Was it the thing that, like, if you want a, some creature to look weird, just give it just gnarly, gross, strangly hair? You know what it is? It's here's what it is. It doesn't have hair. It has hairs. And, right? Like <laughs> hairs is worse. Like it's like, oh, what, that creature over there's got a bunch of hair. Oh, all right. Oh, look at that thing with all the hairs on it. Like oh, like that's it's. You just make it plural, and it's worse. Um. And that's what happened with Elam. Someone made it worse. (laughs) 
which I love his, his party name is Elam, which is mole backwards. Yeah. Oh, they put a lot of work into that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at the picture of the maquette here, though. In this case, the maquette might be grosser because the hair on the maquette kind of looks like like dryer lint or something like it does have a little of that vibe. I know exactly the brand of hair that is. It's something that, um, yeah, it's a it's an old one that I had that I used to use on a lot of puppets, and it's, it's I, I have a swatch book from the manufacturer, and it's just like, yep, there it is. That's the one on that. That's the one on this. Like, it is neat when you there, there's certain stuff that pops up in the industry, and and you kind of look at things. When we were scanning the uh, the Yuzamin, the first uh, one of the first times we saw that one up close. Me and one of the other guys who was also was a puppet guy is still a puppet guy. We were kind of like looked at it and we're like, oh yeah, I know what that is. You know, it's just it's you have this knowing look over fur, but that's this is the life we live, so that's fine. I'm just thinking about a swatch book of hairs. <laughs> oh yeah. There's you, you if, yeah, if you ever come out to the studio, I'll pull the we have a plastic bin full of hairs swatches. Um, and a, and a couple of boxes of hairs samples. <laughs> How many dates did you go on with your wife before you showed her the, the book of hairs? <laughs> First date, right, uh, right off the bat. No, no, they got to know that going in. You, you know, don't let it, just got to let it all. Just, yeah. <laughs> this is, this is, yeah. In my office, there's a drawer. It's full of books. The books are full of hair. Just have to let you know. Right. Yeah. Or hairs. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's move on. The the Jedi creature list skips number five, goes to number six, Squidhead. So Squidhead, and actually, you know, number five is this the this kind of bug-like alien that wound up not getting made. And we don't know who sculpted that one, but uh Squidhead is another Chris Wayless. Really cool maquette. And another one that really is gross. We keep using that word, but it's really appropriate on him because he's he's glossy and slimy. <laughs> well, I guess that's something too. Like we were talking about in the beginning, like the difference between like the the Chris and Phil kind of creatures of Jedi versus like the Stuart Freeborn and like the Rick Bakers of the Cantina. There is like kind of a more gross, weird aspect to the creatures of Return of the Jedi. They they did not resist the urge to make things a little more horrific, I think. And, I, I you know, Rick's sensibility is certainly there. And if you look at his sketches for things like the, the uh, Gotal uh, or Gotal and the uh, even the Cantina band member and stuff um, and some of the other aliens, his take on those is pretty evil. You know, it's got a it's got a great vibe to it. It was just interpreted differently for, for Star Wars. And whereas in Jedi, I think, uh, yeah, they were more more willing to, you know, dive into that side of it and and explore that, you know, and and not be afraid to be gross. I think that's a you know, don't be afraid to be disgusting. That's it's important in any good creature shop. So Squidhead, though, he's yeah, he's kind of glossy. He's kind of gross. And and what I like is, and, and this is you know. It's kind of like you can't have light without shadow. On the on the final realized version of him, um, they balance out the length of his tendrils and stuff a little bit. And they do the the old epoxy coating for gloss on there, which gives you this crazy high gloss shell. But they only put it, you know, on the eyes, on some of the gills, on his little breather tubes, on his little tusky teeth, and maybe is that his tongue dangling down? But it really nicely 
sets off that final and gives it a, a little bit of life because it's not just all one tone, all plasticky, all shell looking. It has that like, oh, that's skin. Oh, that's damp or wet or something. Something's going on here. I don't want to touch him there, you know? Like, and he was another one that showed up left and right in the prequels too. Which is which is interesting. And he shows up a lot in Mandalorian and stuff, which is interesting because those tendrils are a pain in the butt to mold and cast. So kudos to them for, for keep bringing him back for that. People just seem to love the 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 fish people, the, the Mon Calamari and the, and the squid head. It's, it's the... Everybody loves seafood. <laughs> yeah, it's like, are we making a movie or ordering appetizers? Okay, moving on. <laughs> Speaking of seafood, Ishi Tib Starfish. Uh, another Chris Wayless. And if you look at the Starfish maquette and the Reese maquette, I like those to me feel very much of the same hand. It was no surprise when we found out that Chris had done both of those. You know, after we knew Chris did one, it was like, okay, that makes a perfect sense that he did the other one. Um, and it looks like Tony McVeigh sculpted him. We have a picture of Tony McVeigh sculpting on it uh, for the one-to-one. So I think that's probably safe to assume. Uh, I'm going to ask Tony to see at some point. We're going to just have a longer chat with him about the Return of the Jedi aliens and see who else he worked on. He's another one with really cool hands, too. Yeah, like like combination crustacean and, and hooves or something. And it was pretty cool, too. We finally got to hear or see whatever in Ishi Tibbs speak for the first time in the Mandalorian book episode of Book of Boba Fett, where Mandalorian was in that cool nightclub on the ring planet thing. You know what? I did not think about that, but you are probably correct. I have one other Ishi Tib fact that I think we might have mentioned at the show. The prequel Ishi Tib. I got to see the first time in around uh, about a little over 10 years ago, we were doing this uh, commercial. We did the Cantina aliens and they brought some of the prequel aliens to fill, that were used in the movies to fill out the background, as you do. <laughs> the Ishi Tibs from the prequels actually had another face sculpted on the back of them. So you could turn the mask around and make it a different alien. And I don't know if they ever made use of that, but it's really cool. Um, I wish I had a photo showing it. But um, it was a really, really neat thing to see. It skips number eight, and we go straight to number nine, a.k.a. Nine Numb. So, and number eight was another one that Chris Wayless sculpted that looks a bit like the number five, although Chris says that one wasn't him. Uh, and it's a weird, long-eared, tenderly-looking guy that uh, we probably did show early on in the in the thing where we showed – you know, some of the different things you might even see the number on it. So if you ever, if you guys want to go back and look at that at some point, you'll see who number eight was, but uh, yeah, nine, um, Dave Carson sculpted the maquette. I would imagine he probably sculpted the full size for that reason. He did a lot of the full size sculpts and it would make sense. He would do one based on his own maquette and other than the paint, pretty faithful uh, recreation of the sculpt. I do love that someone looked at him and thought, put a hat on that. <laughs> like nobody needs to see that. This is just him a cap, something. A little skull cap, yeah. Yeah. Kirk Thatcher's uh uh captain's hat wasn't available, so they had to uh they had to come up with something else. <laughs> it's such a wild design when you just really I mean we take it for granted because we've been looking at Nine Numb and the toy and you know, he's flying in the cockpit with Lando, it's just a totally normal thing. But when you really look at that face, it is crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah, long gills, bulldog sort of flaps on the side of the face, weird, you know, atypical nostrils, very strange upper lip, giant eyeballs, huge ears that are essentially human. Yeah, very strange. Very strange. Yeah, because I keep trying to figure out if if giving the hat makes him look less like a weird baby or more like a weird baby. I I mean, I personally like the hat. I also like the nod to the kind of old timey, you know, aviator cap kind of thing, the leather uh, and all of that. But yeah, it I think without it, he looks weirder. (laughs) But that's just me. It's like Chewbacca without the bandolier strap for me. He looks naked and weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I should, uh, Chewbacca, put put your strap on. It's I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Put your hat back on, I know. No one wants to see that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Oh, God. So then we go to number 10, wool cabochite in parentheses, low overhead. Let's talk about wool cabochite. Everybody knows what we're talking about, right, with wool cabochite? I would hope so. They can certainly look it up if they have to. Very strange idea, you know, that you would just take this this thing and have it just be like a barnacle on the wall, but with a long tongue sticking out of it. And, and you know, you talk about embracing gross, the paint job on that tongue. It's there. It's, Oof. it's very fleshy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, uh, vascular is probably a good word for that. <laughs> Well, I love Wool Cabochite, where he's just like one of those things that if you watch Jedi over and over and over again, which you should be doing anyways, you start to like notice after a while, like, what is that thing? Was that like a tongue hanging off the wall? Like, you you know, it's like when you notice there's a giant grasshopper in the cantina. And it's just weird. Uh, and it's it's amazing to me that it got picked, frankly. I, I Not that I don't think it's good. It's just it's so unusual. And it's such a strange idea. If I'm not mistaken, do I know? Let's see here. We don't know who sculpted that one. Uh, we don't know who did that concept. So I'll, I'll, we'll have to update in the future if we ever figure it out. Well, what's interesting with this one, too, is this is, a, I think, a rare case where the maquette and the, the final one, like the final version is way grosser and scarier than the maquette. Like it didn't get watered down. It got like <laughs> it got worse because <laughs> yeah. yeah. the maquette's kind of cute. Yeah. Well, I think part of it is that they switched it around, you know, that 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 the top, the bottom became the top all of a sudden when they put them on the wall. And then it just it just really took on a different character. We got to move on because we'll cabochite. It's too much. Yeah. So listen, it's <laughs> what the people want. But, yeah, we can move on if we have to. It skips number 11. It goes to number 12. And this is a handwritten in ink rancor with a C and a K in the same, in the same spot. That's right. Well, you just, you got to cover your bases. <laughs> Which I love even in, from Star Wars to Jedi, Mark Hamill's called rancor. And you, you still hear in a lot of the behind the scenes stuff from Jedi people. Oh, the rancor monster. And I don't, I, after all this time, cause you never know with at, 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 you're like, am I, have, have I been saying it wrong my whole life? Is it actually rancor? I, 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 when Adam Savage, uh, did his review of the, the replica of the puppet we did, he, he said rancor 
And it's just like, it sticks with you. You're like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what we heard it called for a long time. I could see why you would do it, but it's like the, every once in a while it hits you weird, you know, it's like, wait, is it record like that? I don't know. But yeah. And then you start over emphasizing, like, cause you start talking about that. You start sounding like, like Odo from, from Superman, you know, it's like Mr. Luthor, you know, it's all of a sudden it's, it's the rancor, you know, and you're just like really hitting it. So what can we say about the Ranker Rancor? I mean, brilliant maquette by Phil Tippett. The uh, the one to one sculpt, you know, or the the puppet sculpt was also mostly Phil. I, I want to say Randy Dutra worked on it with him. I can't. Is that the, the? Am I saying the right name on that? You know, there was also obviously the attempt to do the man in suit costume which everybody knows from from Star Wars to Jedi, the making of a saga with the big Pac-Man head on it. I love that suit. I, I would love that great iconic picture of him kind of like half turned towards the camera in the middle of the shop. That as a life-size statue would be just amazing. Just a six-foot man in suit Rancor statue. Oh, I would love to do that. If oh. Yeah, if only you knew someone who could do that. Yeah, if only. Um <laughs> But and it's a great fabricated suit. It's all just, you know, foam muscles and build up and you know, some some cast latex pieces. It looks like maybe the the spines on the back and stuff like the plating might have been done that way. But the rest of it, it's just laid up textured sheet on top of stuff. Um and it's uh, on top of, you know, just just uh, probably all uh Scott foam, um articulated foam and stuff like that. Uh, and in this case, yeah, you you know, you see some of the behind the scenes shots where you can still see the orange foam where they just had built up certain areas of it and they were still testing. But eventually realized as the 18 inch high puppet, brilliant puppet by Phil Tippett, tons of cool stuff about that thing. And and especially the bone tail. That's like my favorite thing. We discovered that when we were working on our. Uh, replica of it and and to talk to Phil and to have him say, yeah, they were trying to do this chitinous kind of thing on his back and they wanted to, you know, have some of that like exposed exoskeleton and, and, and just, you know, really, really neat stuff that um, you just didn't think about prior, you know, and no one looked at and you'd see this, this stuff over and over and over again. And then one day you notice that his tail on the back, all the plating is bone and like bone white bone and you just kind of never unsee it and you spot it all the time now and of course the rancor showing up in the sail barge in the background of the Rees fight that got cut out and and in other uh we we actually found it in a few other shots too which was neat some of the stuff i think when bib fortuna kind of pushes leia over to uh to talk to jabba at one point i think you can see it in some of those shots but yeah big ornamental seven foot tall six foot tall corbel you know sculpted sculptural kind of rancor in in bronze that's just amazing and cool and still exists in the archives and we got to scan it and you know we now make replicas of it that people can bring home if they want to go to the regal robot website if you sort of if you like that sort of thing i I still think that's the craziest thing of, of all the crazy things that you guys make and have made that you made that is, is the craziest to me. It's we, but <laughs> who else was gonna, but us, so, you know, it's like, you know, no, nobody else would. So we had to, and it's, I, I'm so glad we got to, I, I think it's just real neat. We do a little magnet version of it. We do an 18 inch version for the wall 
We even did a custom bigger version for someone for a custom room that, that we were doing. Um, uh, and I'm sure that'll, we'll talk more about that someday, but, uh, but yeah, super, super cool. Please love that. Thing. The Rancor monster was George coming in saying, hey, we need a big monster for this pit scene. My idea was like um, a cross between a bear and a potato. <laughs> we could talk about the, the Rancor all day, but we've got to move on to number 14. It skips 13. Gamorian guards, parentheses, pig guards. Do you remember the first time hearing about the pig guards? I heard about them before seeing them. And I pictured them pink because I was just picturing pigs for some reason, I guess. And I was so taken aback the first time I saw one that, and that they were green. I don't think I knew that they were going to be there until I saw them. And whether or not I saw them in something before the movie or in the movie, yeah, they were always they were always green to me. But they were one of the characters that just immediately jumped out of the movie and was like, I love this thing. And the the three different takes on it that we showed as the uh, the maquettes. There's the skinny kind of one. There's the the big walking full body maquette, and then the the really gnarly bust, all wrinkly and 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 you know real broad. Those were all Dave Carson sculpts. Again, probably safe to assume that he worked on the life the the one to one sculpt of it. And I believe the, you know that was what's his, uh, that was uh, Kirk's big story was that. When Dave did the full-size sculpt, he took it from the maquette, but he veered into a softer, smoother, nicer, you know, kind of kinder, gentler version of it. And he said, that ah, it'd probably make a better toy. Yeah, because those early, like, maquettes for the Goring Guard, they look a lot more like, they remind me more of something that would have been in, like, Labyrinth or something. More of, like, a evil fantasy monster kind of thing. Goblin-esque, goblin-esque, yeah. Big molds, big pieces, lots of mechanics going on, huge heads on those things. That's that's another one that I think that and I I would say the Duros are the ones that, that I think get the, the this the most when they make action figures and stuff. They just, you know, they the Duros, they just kind of make it a human head that happens to be blue. And it's like, no, no, those heads are 18 inches tall. You know, it's like. Go go get a ruler and put it next to your head and stretch it out eighteen inches. You know, it's like you will be shocked how gigantic those masks are. Well, that's one thing too. Like I was so happy that the the Gamorians came back uh, for Book of Boba, and I really did love those two characters. But there is something special about just how enormous the the original ones are, their bodies and everything about them. It is almost like the the new ones are like the children of the original. Gamorians and they just haven't grown up all the way yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're really, really oversized, and 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 you know they're not very tall, which I think helps too. They've got a real plodding way about them. It's yeah, I I agree with that. I really do love that that original vibe on those. Number seventeen, Bubo, Bubo, Bubo. <laughs> Fun to say. What else is there to say? Not really much. <laughs> the old man through the hole in the floor trick to to perform him, I guess, you know? Bubo is pretty awesome, though. And Bubo gets a couple moments to shine in Return of the Jedi. I, I feel like people confuse him with the road creature sometimes. Gabe and I, in preparation for Sunday at 2 p.m. in the Twin Suns room. The place to be. 
it was it was god it was the place to be we were at oga's cantina on when the wednesday before celebration started i kept getting bubo and the road creature mixed up well it's because they have wart in the aquarium right at olga's and yeah i think jason was like it's bubo like no that's wart bubo's the other one it's like oh my god i've got to get this straight (laughs) but there is just something great about creatures having pet creatures like you know just because you're a creature doesn't mean you can't have a dog you know, one of the things that Ken Ralston talked about was that there was, you know, some of the sketches he had done, there was kind of a dog-esque creature that he sketched during work on Return of the Jedi. And he brought that back for uh, Star Trek Three for uh, Christopher Lloyd's dog, uh, you know, dog alien, which I think is just neat that, you know, no no good alien design goes unused. You know, that's it's always nice when they can revisit we got to move on. We could talk forever about Bubo probably, but number 21, Red Ball Jet, which you're kind of familiar with a little bit. Kind of. Yeah, good old Max Rebo. Um, and and his rebut, which I think, or rebooty, I believe was the hashtag that, that everybody was using. Everybody was really taken by the fact that, you know, so the hardcore fans knew he always had no legs. You know, uh, it, it's... It's still news to uh, to a lot of folks because it's you know everybody had this picture in their mind from the Kenner figure that he had legs and he was just sitting inside that organ. But the idea is he's supposed to be sitting on the organ and he doesn't have anything below that point. Every, what you see is supposed to be all you get with him. I really would have loved if they had done in the Book of Boba where they had the new suit, if they had just green screened the guy – from the waist down who's playing him and had him hop up and down every once in a while just and then blur you know take it out so you could just see some air underneath him like how cool would it be to finally put on screen a, a two-limbed max rebo was it or tulian or tulian the one thing the and of course the other thing though was the breaking max rebo anatomy news yeah people are still recovering from that I, still, I mean, again, this is why we needed the nurse outside. But yeah, I, you know, someone, someone at the shop who was painting the Max Rebo maquettes asked me about, you know, the paint on his ears, and they were like, "Oh, should he have these these blotches on his flippers?" And I was like, "His what? Oh no, 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 child, I'm sorry, you're mistaken. Those are ears." To which, you know, we engaged in a very quick, almost immediately into a five dollar bet scenario. But it was just like, all right, well, I'm going to ask Phil Tippett. And naturally, Phil comes back, all caps, flippers. Are you kidding me? This was revealed in the 2 p.m. Twin Suns room, the Creatures of Return of the Jedi panel. The place to be. Again, people in the audience gasping. (gasps) There was like a mixture. It It was like I heard people laughing. It was like one of those things where like you hear something so shocking and you don't know how to react. So people are like, ha 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 giggling. <laughs> yeah. Because we, literally people's lives changed at that moment. They were, they were still reeling from the, the, you know, Max Rebo's glorious backside and, and, you know, all the talk of his, is only having two limbs and then to just floor them with Phil Tippett's, uh, 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 answer here. It's a lot. It's a lot for folks to take in. Uh, I was, uh, 
but we're we're lucky to have him. We are lucky that we can reach out to him for important important work like this. But you know, when you look at that maquette again, go to the Regal Robot website for no reason. But you know, go to the Regal Robot website, uh, search Max Rebo in the in the search bar, or go to the news page, and you'll see the the new Mac Ralph uh, uh, Max Rebo maquette that you can buy. And if you look at the way that maquette is sculpted, and you think flippers, you might start to see those as flippers, and you might say, "Oh, he might have two legs and flippers and a snout." It's it's just so neat when someone can do that you know when you have something you saw a certain way for so long and now you have to look at it in a different way and of course i did ask phil what he thought you know like well were they still flippers when you were done you know like when you were made made that full-size suit did they morph into ears and a you know very zen like sort of like they're whatever they want them to be at this point it's out of my hands and has it been confirmed that the name red ball jet was inspired by David Lee Roth's pre-Van Halen band, which was called Red Ball Jet. I figured this out. I didn't, Tom, do you know the answer to this? Because I figured this out today. So what I do know is, according to Phil, it was based on the Red Ball Jet sneakers, and it was Joe Johnston that gave him that name. Yeah, they're sneakers that were popular. They were like uh, Converse All-Stars. Yeah, total chucks. Yeah. And they were popular from like the 50s to the 70s. Yep. So the my guess then is David Lee Roth is the kind of the same age. He probably liked the shoes. And someone at at uh, working on the movie was the right age. They probably had the shoes too. Totally. Yeah. Joe Johnston had the shoes for sure. He probably looked at it and he was like, oh, look at Red Ball Jet over there. You know what I mean? It's really just, just that easy. And there it is. So at some point, Joe Johnson and David Lee Roth were wearing the same shoes, potentially. And there's this weird nexus in time, and they crisscrossed, and then they went in different paths. And one can only wonder what happens in the world where they bumped into each other and then each went on each other's path by accident. <laughs> and somewhere, uh, David Lee Roth is is art directing or, or, or uh, trying to direct the Rocketeer and, and – Joe Johnston's out there, buzzy, buzzy, bop. Okay, number 24, six, six, parentheses, six eyes. Yeah, where they, again, the creativity in some of these names. Phil Tippett sculpt, weird little one. Amazed that they made it full scale. Don't know that they ever did anything with them, though, because poor six eye was nixed. Yeah, and that's in the vastly underrated uh, John Philip Peacher making of Return of the Jedi book. There's like a thing in there where they're thinking they're not going to bring in six eyes, and it says six six is next. So yeah, so poor poor little guy. It's a really cool little guy, though. I really like six six six. You know what's what's neat? I love his little the little thing on the end of his snout with all the little tendrils, and if. Um, if I remember correctly, the, the Yamno's character from the cantina, the Hanemth alien, Mayum Unith or whatever the, the real name is, on a very small scale has similar things on the end of her, her little uh, proboscis or whatever you want to call it, which is just neat. I guess it's like kind of a mole rat kind of thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, good old Phil embracing gross stuff. Speaking of embracing gross stuff. 
Yeah, number 26, Hermie Odal, parentheses, Hemimeroid. Where? What do you think that means? Oh, Hermie Odal. You know, the thing I like about Hermie Odal, he's disgusting, but he always looks like he's smiling. He's having a good time. I, I always thought he looked like a, a manatee, like after a boat accident or something. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to be gross. I, I, I love manatees. I'm not not degrading, but I, like he has a manatee esque quality about him. Like even an intact manatee, they're still kind of ugly and cute at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the fact that his eyes are dripping off his face in two different directions, <laughs> and that he's got whatever that is pouring out of his mouth, like he's turning inside out or something there. But like he's got that's a very manatee-esque kind of snout. And the fact that he's got like kind of gashes in his head and stuff, like it's just there's so much wrong with him. Uh he's disgusting. Do we know who's responsible for, for Hemiodal? Uh that was Phil Tippett. Uh, no, should no. surprise no one now yeah. that we've said it out loud. Um but yeah, that was one of his shares a hand mold with Efontmon, both the same uh the same hands, uh just different paint on them. Which is, I think, uh, I'll allow it. That's clever reuse right there. You know what's crazy? I've got the the Hasbro action figures for Ifant Man and Hemioto right next to each other. And I've just noticed that their hands are exactly the same. That's outstanding. I, I love the, the moon-shaped shoes that he has on the maquette. I don't know. Uh, I don't believe that carried through to the full size. I believe the full size is... You know, just has straight feet on him, but he's got these great, like, curled-in moon shoes. Well, he's a cane, too, in the maquette, probably because he has moon feet and they won't support him. Right, yeah, yeah. Or he's just classy. (laughs) But it might be. It's probably the thing you said, though. Okay, so number 28, just snooty, or as we like to call her, size noodles. We could have Herbie the singer. (laughs) Wow, wow. It's a, it's a binary system, Tom. It is. That's right. Uh, you get some articulation. Make it at least open and close. The, I, I love the spindliness of the maquette and the, the shortness of her arms on the maquette is really wild. A, another one that's naked until you put a skirt on her. And so that was, that was nice. But like even that skirt is really cool. It, it reminds me a little of stuff from the Dark Crystal where it's just layers and layers of beads and, and feathers and macrame and stuff like that. Like it's just unusual. Um, it's not just they draped a towel around her waist or something. And I do like that she's got kind of the flapper hat feather on top uh, that goes around her little head horn. It's like got a little ring and then a feather sticking up. I think that's a nice touch. And I always like in the behind the scenes stuff, the the whole story of the Mick Jagger lips. Yeah. And she does have those big, big red lips. Yeah, there's a little bit of, there's some lip on there. Uh, I, I mean, the maquette now actually is missing that part of the snout. There's other pictures of it back in the day, though, where you can kind of see that. But it's it definitely is not as exaggerated as the final is. And I think the, um, you know, it it is a weird very weirdly very human element for her it's just so strange to think of that voice actually originating from that weird tube snout like like i've never really thought about it till right now like that really probably doesn't make a lot of sense but like never once in our lives did we question that that's just how she sang you know who designed miss snooty do we do we have information on that we we know that, and that is Mr. Phil Tippett. Wow. Sus, 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 wow. 
Last question about Miss Snooty. Does does the full-size prop still exist? Do we know? It does. It is at the archives, and uh, it's it's a really cool piece. Um, and yeah, yeah, we've we've spent a bit of time with her. That's she's she's really cool. Lucas instructed that the vocalist have her own number. Composer John Williams wrote the music. His son Joseph wrote the lyrics. For the film, the song would be translated into Hatese, Java's language. Miss Snooty is a complex combination of Rod Puppet and Marionette. She owes her most outrageous feature to George Lucas. I went in to see the first mock-up of her, and she had these little teeny lips, and I just, it just occurred to me, wouldn't it be great with along the end of this long snout of these giant red lips? Mick Jagger lips. Uh, moving on, number 30, Queequeg. One of my favorite sculpts. Inspired by, yet not looking like, the, uh, the, the character from Moby Dick. Uh, sculpted by Ken Ralston, who did uh, a you know a beautiful job on this sculpt. A lot of character, a lot of nobility and quiet mystery about him. And interestingly, very different ears than the final. Uh, this actually has these very sort of like classic '50s alien sort of Spock pointy kind of ears, and the uh, the final has no ears. It has you know little little holes in the side of the head. Which I think probably works better, but, you know, I think it's solid either way. I love that he's got these kind of red, almost, um, it's funny, the images here are desaturated because they're old Polaroids, but the, the actual maquette behind his ears, he has these little holes in the sides of his head that have like redness about him and they look very inflamed and, and kind of painful. And I don't know if if someone just said, we'll just make those ears and get rid of these these sort of human ears. But yeah, really cool. Love the hair element. Love the neck chain. Which people may know Queequeg better by his party name, Weequay. Oh, yes. In case they didn't go along with us for the ride there. <laughs> um, and yeah, and Weequay is one of the ones that we scanned and actually was pretty far along. We brought a prototype, an unpainted prototype to the show. Uh, so keep your eyes peeled. That might be something that you see soon. Up next, Everybody's favorite, Yak Face. What is the deal with Yak Face? Who designed Yak Face? What is going on? Judy Elkins uh, designed Yak Face. She did the maquette and the full scale. And when you look at that picture of her putting hairs into them, you could see that it's, it's bigger than, you know, from her hips to the top of her head. Gigantic sculpture. I can't imagine how much clay she used on that thing. Big, gigantic head, big, gigantic uh, hands that go up to like almost the elbow, these big hoof hands. The mystique of the action figure on him really kind of sticks with him. You know, the fact that that was such a a mysterious figure back in the day, you know, for a lot of us, we never even saw one. We didn't even know it existed until, you know, for me, it was probably the early like it was probably late eighties, early nineties where I saw one at a toy show or, or read it in a magazine or heard about it first. And you're just kind of like, what? There's another star Wars figure and I don't have it. Like get out of here, you know? And I think part of the thing with yak face is that like we were saying, so many of the return, of the Jedi creatures 
are the opposite of dare to be cute or like dare to be gross or dare to be weird. And yak face is just kind of goofy looking. Yeah. He, he definitely leans into that other sort of more charactery thing. And he's got, you know, he's, he's got the big long punched, you know, yak and horse hairs there or whatever those big long white hairs are. He's got a little bit of the gross thing, but he's definitely cuter than he is gross or, or, I don't know if cute's the word, but but character, you know, more so than creature, maybe. But he's cool. He's another one. I almost think he could fit in in, like, the back of Labyrinth somewhere or something like that. Especially by being so huge. Yes. Gives him more of that, like, a big Muppet kind of feel. He really is massive. So after Yak Face, it's just Droopy. Just Droopy. First name basis. Yeah, so Droopy McCool. Um, the late, great Wesley Seeds sculpted him, who did a lot of the molds for, for Return of the Jedi. He sculpted the maquette. And then I, I want to say it was Gene Lauren and Dan Howard, uh, Dan Howard, who also, I believe, passed away, did the life-size sculpt on a life cast of a little person. And again, using cut pieces of reticulated foam and then putting latex over top of that and layers of padding and things like that. Really weird design. I love the energy of the maquette though. It, it like it fits like droopy really fits him as that maquette, you know, I never really noticed how much it looks. His face looks like a dog. If you erased half of the dog's face. Oh yeah. 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 You took the top half of the dog off. Well, and it's weird because like the, it almost he almost wears that part of his face like a turban on the final, but in the in the maquette that leans forward and has more of that dog face to it. And I love a droopy too. The, like we were saying before, he's just wearing just some shorts. Yes, it's like the opposite of uh, of Snooty's very intricate skirt that was made. Like <laughs> just put some shorts on him. Yeah, some very basic, simple, tight shorts. I mean, maybe they're like Spanx, though, because they're really pulling them in, and you can see the belly hanging over them, you know? I wonder if... What I do love is those when you catch glimpses of him behind the scenes with no shorts on, and it's really striking. It's just like, whoa, you know? (laughs) Like, All right, I can see why they put pants on him. Let's take a side note really quick and talk about what the kids want to hear about Light Man. Because Light Man is not in the film, but Light Man was filmed. People started hearing about Light Man. I think it was on the the Blu-ray for Return of the Jedi. When the Blu-ray set came out, there's a little part in there with Phil Tippett talking about Light Man. And so many of us at that moment were like, wait, what the heck is that? And then information started coming out. What we found out that Peter Diamond was inside the light man suit. And there was like this Joe Johnston art where light man was actually going to be this lava creature to, to look at that suit and know that those are all incandescent bulbs with tons of electricity and wattage going through them. Uh, you know, the, someone had interviewed Peter diamond and he said that was the most dangerous stunt he did on the whole movie. It's such a strange thing. Just these long, arms of light and it was their way of trying to get practical lighting on set so if they matted in a bright creature they would have the effect on the characters that were on set with them 
which is really clever. And it's a very, you know, real world answer to that problem and a, uh, a neat way to do that. And we're seeing kind of a, the distant cousin of that with the lightsabers now, right? Like they're using lighted sabers on set so that you get the uh, reflections and the and the cast of the light on the characters, which in itself is kind of cool. It's a, it's a, maybe you know that's light man come around and and made made real. And I I just love the idea that at one point they were playing around with the idea of like matting or animating or whatever they were going to do like with light man for this finished product that it there would have been like all these like masks and bizarre creatures and then maybe just something animated thing coming in i don't know where would light man have slept though because everyone was like sleeping pretty close together in, in java's palace and if light man's just like a ball of lava like no one's gonna want to sleep by the lava guy <laughs> damn it damn it light man turn it down we're trying to sleep you know there was a couple of, of things that didn't make it into the final cut that were just like, eh, there was some creature that was made out of light. That didn't make it, but pretty much everything else did. Moving on. Prune face. Oh, my God. Prune face. Yeah. Weird one. That weird stretched back of the head and everything on him there. Prune face kind of shows up more in the rebel briefing room. There's like prune face and all of his buddies hanging out in there. Have we ever seen a prune face in Jabba's palace? I don't know that. I'm not sure if we have, like I know the starfish you see in both places. I always, you know, when I got prune face, I assumed he was one of Jabba's guys. Cause he looks like a pirate, the figure. Yeah. He's got an eye patch and he's got a hood. Yeah, an old timey rifle and everything. But yeah, no, rebel briefing. He's he's a rebel through and through. I love that the prune face and like his two buddies or three buddies or whatever are just kind of just sitting there watching. And you don't you see them like getting on a ship when everybody's like getting ready to go. And you never see them again. Right. They just we're out. <laughs> they just showed up for the for the uh, the buffet before the briefing. And then they're out of there. Everybody else went to Endor and they were just like, um, all right, nobody looking gone, you know. But my favorite thing is there's an old Kenner commercial for Return of the Jedi. Or maybe it's a Palatoy in UK. I can't remember. But it's Pruneface flying the Millennium Falcon. Come on, Pruneface. The fate of the fleet depends on us. Rebel ship on radar. I'm going to destroy him. Ships and action figures sold separately. Batteries not included. Target a 40 degree. Death Star, get ahead. The shield's still up. Locking lasers. Empire ambush. I'm going for solar panels. Using power. I'll need the force. Keep the fleet on alert. The Empire's in retreat. Millennium Falcon and New Tide Interceptor each sold separately, only from Kenner's Star Wars Return of the Jedi collection. But Pruneface is incredibly cool. Who designed Pruneface? We don't know. Wow. Yeah, that's one of the ones we don't know. You know who else we don't know? A man, a man. Which is number 36, also known as Headhunter, a.k.a. Banana Man. Which I kind of get both of those. Love a man, a man. I, I, no, another one with those, those you know, scimitar kind of half moon feet there. Feet there. Um, and they did do that on the full size, which is great. Huge, huge thing. Giant staff, multiple shrunken, you know, or, or just corpse heads on it, which is crazy. One thing I did notice researching a man, a man actually is some of the onset pictures there's spikes and hooks on his, his uh, headhunter staff. And 
they have reticulated foam with duct tape over the spikes. They actually replicated that on one of the toys as if that was part of it. The the Hasbro one that, that uh, looks like came with Salacious Crumb, you can actually see this little black and silver striped thing in between two of the skulls. That's them replicating the foam padding they put on that spike so no one would get hurt while they were moving. <laughs> I only realized realized that very recently, and I just think that's the the coolest goofy little fact. Um, and of course, the fact that he's holding a, a human corpse is amazing. Like, whatever, yeah. The heads are on the stick, but the rest of the of the entire corpse is just in his other hand. Well, look, you know, he doesn't have a pouch for his snacks, so he's got to just bring them along. Well, another fun thing is. Uh, if you like a man to man as much as, as I do too, is the, the old dark horse empire comic. There was like a three episode arc called to the last, which was just a, an empire base basically getting attacked by a, a giant tribe of a man men for three issues. Oh, wow. Look that one up. So moving on, we talked about it a little bit already. Number 37, e Mon, AKA elephant man. Amazing, gigantic sculpture uh, sculpted by Tony McVeigh, allegedly in like one or two days, which is insane. There's the, we actually had a good shot of him working on the armature for that sculpt, which is just bananas. It looks like he's using half inch armature wire, which is massively thick and tons of wood and things like that to hold the clay in place. And then gigantic stone mold. I can't even fathom moving a mold that big. Uh, and and just the craziest rig you ever saw with like bent PVC pipes and wood and all of this stuff to support the back and the giant head and to give him his hunch. Just just a bonkers costume. Like, uh, it really is nuts. And what's that when we were doing research for Light Man, we saw a really cool picture of... Man with, with yeah, him with the front face off. Yeah, and it just looks like someone hanging out in a little pod. But yeah, shared hands with Hermiotl. He actually did get to keep the cane, which I think is probably necessary considering the rig the poor actor had to wear. Uh, another Phil Tippett design, actually. This was that was another of Phil's, and it has uh, the final has way more texture than Phil's version. Phil's version was very smooth. It's cool. Um, and it's a, it's, it's a little thinner kind of design, a little, little smoother, a little, little less weighty, but Tony just did just beautiful wrinkles and chunks and, and mass on that thing. The head wrinkles alone are just incredible on it. Well, and kind of like Hermiotl, I like that both of them are like wearing cloaks too. Yeah. Like, like they're ghouls or something. Like Right. And, and again, the hairs dangling down his forehead. Uh, you know, big long hairs hanging out there, which is just awesome, and a bunch of punched hairs around the perimeter of his face for a little, for good measure. Now, what's cool? Ifantman is listed as number thirty-seven, and then thirty-seven A, which you wouldn't think these two are related, but they are. Thirty-seven mm-hmm. A is salacious C crumb, which before it was this was before he was salacious B crumb. And in parentheses, Sulacious. Now, let's talk about how Ifantman and Sulacious are related. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that was the original pairing, right? Tony McVeigh 
sculpted salacious crumb from whole cloth in this case. You know, it wasn't a maquette. There was no sketch or design. Tony just decided to make that kind of on his own and they let him do it one to one. Tony may have had a sketch or something along the way, but it wasn't wasn't in the original uh, plan. And it was something that he just developed while they were making it. And it was developed to be a friend for Ifantman, a pet. I don't even know what you would call him. Um, but there's multiple pictures where you see him hanging out just on Ifantman on one of his arms. I guess almost like a, a pirate and his parrot. And Gabe, is what's the story like in the Rinsler making of Return of the Jedi book? Somehow Ben Burke got involved in all this? Yeah, there is a quote in there that the idea for the character of Salacious came from Ben Burt. He said it would be funny to have a small creature sitting on the shoulder of another creature and repeating everything the larger creature said during arguments. So, yeah, kind of your typical, yeah, kind of guy. My friend, Harvey, you know, <laughs> one of those. <laughs> Salacious Crumb, just his celebrity has really taken off. Such a cool little puppet. You're intimately familiar with, with our good friend Salacious, though. Yeah, we spent a ton of time with the real puppet years ago, part of uh, some of the projects we did doing conservation and stuff with the uh, the archives. And then to get to, to do a recreation of it with Tony McVeigh, who sculpted it for the movie, sculpting our recreation. We're actually in the process of making those right now. We've got um, every few weeks, another 12 get going on all the tables at the shop and they, they start to head out and we're... Uh, we're working our way through all of those. It's uh, We had an edition of 150. They sold out uh, within a couple of days, which was amazing. And uh, and it's really cool to start seeing these get into people's homes. And it, like anything else, you know, it's neat to do one. But when you can look around the studio and see, you know, 12 or 24 salacious crumbs, one-to-one life-size props looking at you, it's wild. And he's a good size. People don't realize, you know, how big... Most of this stuff is most people who see salacious, you know, even our replica are like, oh, it's bigger than I expected. It's, well, you know, that's we just we just stick to the size of the real deal. So and if you loved light and magic, go on YouTube and look up from Star Wars to Jedi, the making of a saga. If you've never seen it, because there's some high quality salacious crumb comedy in from Star Wars to Jedi. It is an uh, and that is that is required reading by far for, for all of this stuff. That little character was just kind of a cast off, and it was just a little hand puppety thing that Tony McVeigh just did as a as a background piece. George asked us to come up with a name for the thing, and um, we were we went out to lunch, and we had a, a couple of pitchers of beer. And we were trying to come up with a name, and we couldn't. We couldn't think of it. And we were getting up to go, and my tennis shoes had come undone. And I said, "Hey, wait a minute, guys! I gotta let's stop and wait for a minute while I, under the influence of a couple pints of beer, tie my shoelaces. I mean, shoelaces." <laughs> And so we pitched that to George and told him the story. And he said, no, it ain't going to be that. And then he came up with salacious, so he turned the salacious into salacious. Next one, this is a crowd favorite, number 38, Kane Adis, a.k.a. Kane Heads. So Tom Sanamond is the guy who did the, uh, the maquette on that one. 
you know, the team brought him to life. Not sure specifically Phil Tippett. We know you, know, you can see him painting him in some of the behind the scenes. If I, if I'm not mistaken, just big, weird, bizarre things. Very, very strange. It's really a shame that they didn't end up more in the movie because they're just such cool looking creatures. And for being something that is so far in the background, like they're really intricate. It's like, in a way, they're both intricate, but also very static. And I, I, you know, I wonder if this isn't the sort of thing where you could approach these again and put these in something and and even, you know, maybe take the path where are they two heads of the same beast? Are they two individual heads? Are they intertwined? And and actually use modern technology to give them some animation. And are they bickering with each other? I think that'd be fun, you know, <laughs> or something like that. And just in passing. You know, have have Mando going in somewhere and there's two of these out front just twisted up and bickering. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, what I love about Kane Adis is it's, it's almost like Wool Cabochite where it's not a person in a suit. It's not two arms, two legs and some weird head. It's just some weird giraffe, two head creature, worm thing. I don't know what it is, but just something completely foreign and alien. Yeah, very, very strange. So here we go. Number 39, Rockwort, a.k.a. Rock Alien. Rockwort. So that's that's Judy e- uh, Elkins. I always want to say Eakins for some reason. Uh, Judy Elkins. Uh, and I'm, I hope Elkins is right now that I've said that out loud a few times during the show. That's Judy E. <laughs> sculpting him right there, which is neat. Uh, and it was Ken Ralston who uh, did the concept on uh, the Rock Lobster, as he called it. And and I think uh, he sounded uh, in talking with him recently about it. He sounded genuinely surprised that this got built. Not particularly surprised that you don't really see it in the movie much, but uh, but actually, you know, really really neat that they actually went through and made that thing. Do you know? Does it still does that still exist somewhere, or is that disappeared? That's a great question. I, I would. My assumption is yes. I don't know that I have personally laid eyes on that one. I don't know if he's tucked away somewhere. Some of the bigger Jedi creatures are around. I, you know, I'd have to go through my photos because every time you go to the archives, it's like overload. You just can't, can't, can't keep track of everything you saw every time. Well, now, you know, next time you go, I just need to see, I just need to see Rockwort. That's it. None of this other, this other stuff I can look at it another day. It's Rockwort. I can't imagine what that's like tom (laughs) it's a burden a terrible terrible burden yeah listen you're talking to someone who's not there right now that could be so you know let's just (laughs) i chose you so okay so moving on hoover i believe he is still around by the way um and in fact i know that one is and and just yeah another one how did that got made you know (laughs) this is kind of surprising I kind of this is one of those ones where I think the the interpretation at, you know, at one to one is more realistic and, uh, you know, a creation than the concept. And I don't know who sculpted the concept Um, We're we've been talking with a lot of the folks that worked on the show just in general, trying to figure out who did each concept, because I think that's it's, you know, an important part of the story of each of these creatures. So. Uh, but yeah, Hoover is is actually on my don't know list. Do you think no one wants to admit to have done Hoover? Because it's kind of it's kind of rough looking. 
Yeah, it is not. It's not the strongest, that's for sure. Speaking of one that is incredibly strong, and everybody knows and loves the Toadstool Terror. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's another one you got to be looking for. He's behind, what is it, Max Rebo and Droopy when they do that one cutaway? I love the that they put moss on him or or whatever that is, you know? <laughs> like, it's someone sculpted that thing up at full scale and was just yeah. like, yeah. Eh, this needs something. <laughs> like, what, what do we got? <laughs> I love it. Do it. Well, I guess if he's a toadstool, like, that would make sense. You could have moss. We got to move on. Yuzum, number 42. Yuzum. I love Yuzum. I, I really do. The maquette is super spindly and cool and has a giant gun. And I love that they even replicated the giant gun for him on set. The shoes are just chef's kiss. <laughs> if you guys ever want to start selling replica shoes, those would, that would be my choice for the, for the first, uh, the first ones. I love it. And what was the deal that like the Yuzum originally were going off an old uh, concept for the Ewoks? That's that's exactly right. You know, they they had done I guess it was was it uh Nilo uh Rhoda Shimero that, that had done that sketch. Um but yeah, they were they were trying different ideas out for the Ewoks and that was one of them. And and eventually they were even I think they were expecting it to be another species on the you know the Ewok planet. Uh you know, the the way of things with these movies, everything evolves. But I love that he still made it in. I love that they built him. Uh, it was another uh, Judy Elkins uh, maquette. And I believe she worked on fabricating the one-to-one as well. I'm not sure. I'll have to find that out. Because she mostly did mold and cast like sculpted pieces. It might have been Gene Lauren and, and uh, Dan Howard who, who fabricated this or someone else. I will, I will find out. Our next one, number 44, which you don't think of as a creature so much – Uva in parentheses bird lady. Why is Uva called bird lady? So the maquette that uh, Judy did uh, has feathers uh, on it. Um, it's the the backbend maquette there. It looks almost like she like decoupaged feathers on there. And so I'm I'm thinking that's where the bird lady thing comes from. And then the According to Judy, they kind of did a mashup of her body with a head that Phil Tippett was working on uh, to make that maquette. Fascinating. And that, you know, you think of Ula and Bib, Bib Fortuna, which weirdly, Bib is not on this list. Oh, that's interesting. Which makes no sense at all. But yeah. that that was their introduction to Twi'lex or Twi'lex, however it's called which now is such a huge part of Star Wars. I love just all the additional anatomy that Bib Fortuna has. You know, if you were to say that he and Ula weren't even the same species, you could get away with that. You know, there's there's that much extra going on with him. Uh, he has a big neck blob thing and the dangly bits off of his chin and all the bumps on his head and everything like that. He's real real cool looking and i think there's a lot of stuff that people overlook and just kind of think oh twilight uh two two long head tails coming out and that's it that was me for most of my life that i didn't even make the connection that they were supposed to be the same species i think you know until we got to the point now where there's so many other variations on the on the twilight that it was like oh yeah bib fortuna is supposed to be 
the same. And if you unwrap his tentacles, they kind of, they line up and it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Although his kind of, he has this weird extension out of the back of his head and his come out sort of uh, coming down. uh, Whereas hers kind of go up and over, but yeah, it's, it's, it is, you know, I guess canonically now they are, they are joined and it does seem like a lot of even the male, I kind of say, okay, well, maybe that's a male Twi'lek and a female Twi'lek. But now all the male Twi'leks in the shows seem to have the Ula headdress kind of thing. Well, I know in some time we could do like a whole nother episode just about the humans of Jabba's palace. Because if you start talking about Ula, then you start to get into Jess, which when we were planning for 2 p.m. in the Twin Suns room. The place to be. There was a whole we we didn't get to talk about Jess as much as we wanted to, and we probably won't be able to talk about Jess as much as we'd want to here. But Jess is one of my favorite people in Jabba's Palace, and this, the bizarre humans hanging out amongst these tongues on the wall and two-headed <laughs> snake creatures. And I, I just love Jess because she looks like she just stepped out of the set of Blade Runner onto Return of the Jedi too. Yes. Well, and I also, you know, just going back to Bib Fortuna for a second, too, you know, he's got these wonderful finger extensions that nobody, you know, kind of that that didn't stick around either. And I know and, and that's because that's genuinely a pain in the butt from the effects point of view. But, you know, the, they 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 did it the easy way. They gave him the fingerless gloves with the long the long fingertips. But I just think it's so, you know, there's there's so many extra little layers of detail on Bib Fortuna that uh and stuff like that, I I just think is cool and, and makes him something special. The the sausages growing out of his neck are yeah. I'm I'm repulsed and hungry at the same time whenever I see them. <laughs> it looks like he's yeah like, like you're walking into the Italian deli, you know? <laughs> like yeah. Hey, Bib, how you doing? Uh, hey, Tommy, you need some super sad? Yeah, yeah. Let me let me get that some gabagool. You know, like you just there you go. Just pulling it out of his neck. That's right. Yeah, he just he snips one of those off. Like it's just you know. Oh. And I love the bib maquette, the concept maquette for bib when they were doing Rogue One, and they had Beezer Fortuna somehow related to bib. And what they found an actor where they could recreate that really freaky like. Twilight vampire looking bib maquette for Beezer. Yeah, he's got that elongated face, the big jaw, the bulbous neck, like all of that. It's it's that very tall, stretched kind of vibe to it. Like he looks like he's gonna go, hi guys. You know, just <laughs> like one of those. There's, I, I every time I we, you know, we've got that maquette at the shop now because we're we're working on our replica of it, and it's just every time we look at it, it's just me and Rob hold it up and point at each other. Hi guys, hi Rob. You know, it's just he, yeah, he's got that big wide mouth that goes all the way across the uh, the width of his face and that stretched look, the big overhanging uh, uh, brow. It's it's a cool, cool sculpt. And again, Phil Tippett doing weird, disturbing stuff. So, you know, we should expect that by now. Just think if you were that actor, though, it's like, hey, do you, you want to be in Star Wars? Sure. It's like, yeah, because you look like this d- Horribly disfigured, weird maquette. Right. Oh. <laughs> but your name is Beezer, and you're in Rogue One. So, yeah, you know. so it's all good in the end. Yeah. All right, we're in the home stretch here. Number 45, Barada. I love that they're back in the uh, in the Mando universe as well. Just classic bulldog alien. 
great over the head mask, you know. It's a cool maquette. It's a more alien maquette. It almost has a, a tree person feel, almost a little like that Vecna kind of vibe with those those tendrils or whatever, those the way the musculature comes down the neck. But but yeah, he's a pretty cool one. It is interesting though, because there's the maquette doesn't look like a dog man at all. But then you see the final alien and you kind of oh yeah, they kind of look like dog people. Yeah, very bulldog. So it's it's interesting how much his design kind of changed. You know, it's the same basic forms, but it it really kind of took on a different character when it was uh, made into a mask. Who can we thank for Barada? We don't know. That's another one of our our question marks. Not sure who did the design. I you know it, it's certainly possible that's a Dave Carson or a Tony McVeigh full size sculpt. Um, this is all stuff that we're we're still digging on, and that's kind of the magic of all of this. Is like you know every time you think you know it all, like that we did that whole thing at the at uh, two p.m. in the Twin Suns room. Oh, that was the place to be. That's what I've heard, and the, yet you know barely scratched the surface on this stuff. And we had done tons of research leading up, and it's like, oh no, there's still more to learn. So uh, I'm I'm excited to keep going on this and see what else we find out. Number 46, Nick Doe. Ah, that's my favorite. I'm going to say it. It's one of my favorite sculpts. Dave Carson sculpt. I don't believe he did the maquette. Uh, or if he did, he didn't call that out. We, we, I believe we talked to him through Kirk. But uh, really, really love that full-size mask sculpt. Really great. I love the the nostrils kind of coming down and out on those tubes on the side of his face rather than where his nose would be. And uh, and just, yeah, super fun. He's another one with cool hands, too, because he has, like, the extra little horns coming out of the back of his hands yeah. kind of to match the, the, the random extra horns coming out of the top of his head. And, you know, totally different outfits on each one, totally different hats. You know, gone are the days of... of uh, you're going to have four Greedos. Okay. They're all going to have the same exact outfit. You know, this is really nice creative costume design on each of these guys. The hats alone are really cool on those. 48 Pote Snitkin. Uh, AKA Snit Plotkin. That's a Ken Ralston maquette. And, uh, and that was, I think from, from talking to him, it sounded like that was kind of his favorite of the bunch that he did. And he, he did a good bunch of those maquettes. Um, but I love Potsnick and I love the mass of the costume, the big, huge, broad shoulders and all of that. And he's just the hunchy guy at the rudder of one of those, one of the skiffs. Uh, it's such a great name, though, Plotsnitkin. A.K.A. Snit Plotkin, which is just, which sounds, sounds a little like a, a, a 50s attorney at law, you know, or, or, or maybe an accountant or something. It's like, oh, I've got to call my accountant Snit Plotkin. He'll take care of all he is. Final two, number 49, Woof. What's the deal with Woof? I, you know, I don't know how the name Woof with the extra O, because I like that you pronounce the extra O, by the way. I, I, I don't know how Woof got that name, but he's more commonly known as Klaatu. Um, and there's another one that had, you know, cool headgear. And and the headgear is in, or like the headgear for at least one of them is in the concept maquette uh, done by Ken Ralston. And then Dave Carson did the full scale uh, sculpt on that. But yeah, I, I don't 
you know, I, I love the fact that they actually did the the different headgear on these guys and didn't just say, well, this is a woof helmet and everybody gets the same helmet. Cool lizard person design. And I think Ken said that was one that someone said to him, we should have a lizard guy. Why don't you do something? And that was where he, he just started there and ran with it. Which makes it even crazier. He has like a dog oof name when he's obviously a lizard. Yes. Yeah. Very weird name for that. <laughs> no idea why. And it makes the whole Klaatu Barada Nikto thing even more confusing. That's right. <laughs> because Woof should be like the one that looks like a bulldog, but we don't, we won't get, we won't even get into that. Right. <laughs> Which brings us to number 55, our final one on this list. Let's go back to four hours ago when this episode started. 17, it's been 84 years. <laughs> we're on episode 324 now. That's right. Yes. <laughs> We're we're back to where we began, Weeba Weeba. Let's reveal the mystery of Weeba Weeba. I so this I I give I will always credit where I can. Pablo Hidalgo and I were searching for Weeba Weeba for the longest time, and Brandon Allinger of uh, PropStore.com, great source for original props and production pieces that were used in making your favorite films. I highly recommend them. He is an old, old friend and an amazing researcher and the true Indiana Jones of, uh, of movie prop hunting. Uh, and he had a, and I believe this came from the production uh, from some of the stuff that Stuart Freeborn had, but it was a return of the Jedi production Bible with Polaroids of characters and maquettes and sometimes sketches and there was a sketch that said Alien Creatures, number 55, Weeba Weeba. And the sketch clearly shows Yarna Del Gargan, the, uh, the other female dancer from Jabba the Hutt's Palace. Thus revealing who we know or knew as Gargan, also known as Weeba Weeba. That's right. And... I just really, really neat to finally be able to like, okay, that's who that is. I love stuff like this. I live for stuff like this. Especially when you have a literal checklist. Yes. And it's the last one on the checklist to check off. Like, come on. <laughs> like, now you're just teasing us. Like, you know, it's like, like now I want to go back in and add like, you know, 56, Hujawatsa, you know, and you're just like, what? You know, who is that? And it's just like... Let's just throw one more on there. In the actual bizarre stuff that exists somewhere that like Weeba Weeba, a.k.a. Gargon, is supposed to be Jabba's daughter or something, which is it's weird. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> I, yeah, He's got an affinity for, for humanoids, so I don't know how that works. But, but Weeba Weeba, Gargon, mystery solved. So we did it. That's the list. I hope people have felt like they were there on a Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. in Anaheim, California. Was that in the Twin Suns room? It was in the Twin Suns room. We didn't have Kirk Thatcher. We didn't have his captain's hat. We didn't have Amy Ratcliffe. We didn't have the visual element. But I think what we did have is a lot of time. <laughs> I hope we've used it judiciously. I hope people 
feel we've taken them on a, an audio uh, an auto uh, audio journey here a, a journey into your mind that's right or or what's left of ours at this point <laughs> i think we did this as, as you know as an audio only version i think we've done this this justice i think this is a pretty if you weren't at that panel that this is very very similar to how that panel went you know just go back and listen to the kirk thatcher episode that that we did a couple years back if you want a taste of that <laughs> Too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. So if you're still listening, if you're still with us here, you should go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if that's what you're listening on. It helps more people find Blast Points when they're looking up Star Wars podcasts. And if you listen on Spotify, you should leave us a star review over there, a five-star review, so we can get to 100 Spotify reviews. What happens when that when we get to 100? I don't know. I want to find out. And make sure you check out our website, BlastPointsPodcast.com, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're on Facebook, make sure you're a member of our Blast Points Super Chill Group. And that last part's important. That Super Chill Group is so fun. It's like the it's the best collection of Star Wars fans in the world. It's Blast Points people. If, if you've made it this far in this episode, that's where you should be because those are your people. That's your reward. <laughs> Just, I made it. I yeah, and uh, uh, the yeah, definitely follow you guys. If if you are if you are out there, if you're enjoying this, look up those accounts. Definitely look at that chill group on Facebook. It is they are your people for sure. If you want to support the show in a different way, we got the Blast Points Army on Patreon. Tons of bonus episodes on there. Tons of cool stuff. Tom, where can people find you if they haven't figured it out already in this six-hour six marathon episode? That's right. If they haven't yet, they could go to uh, RegalRobot.com or TomSpinaDesigns.com or follow us at RegalRobot or at TomSpinaDesigns 
uh, or both really is probably even a better idea. Uh, and you can follow us on all of your favorite socials, whether that's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest. Uh, we're all over the place. We post fun stuff every day and, uh, check us out, go to our websites, get on our mailing list. That's where, like, if you, if you like what we're doing and you're like, Oh, I don't want to miss out on these maquettes, get on that mailing list. We don't spam people. We send out a couple of months, you know, even that ambitious, but we, that is where you're going to hear when something goes up for pre-order. And if you don't want to miss what we do, give, give that a try. I love getting the Regal Robot emails because it's just like, ooh, fun. <laughs> it's, it's a little treat in the email inbox. Even when it's stuff you're not buying, you're like, you're like wow, somebody made the Rancor Corbel as a product. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool to see because you're like, oh, you know what? I never got a good look at it. But here, Regal Robot's gone to the archives. They've scanned the real thing. And now I can actually even, you know, even if you can't, there's no vintage photos of this thing or even regular photos available to anyone. Now here's a chance for people to really see this thing and how cool that sculpt is. It's, I love that we can share stuff like that. And so, yeah, that's what you get when you join our uh, email mailing list on regalrobot.com. Well, Tom, we just love having you on so much. This is maybe the most epic episode we've ever done with you out of the 4,500 email episodes we've done with you. This is this is possibly the most epic one we've pulled off yet. And I don't know. Again, we just can't thank you enough. Uh, it is absolutely my pleasure. I have so much fun chatting with you guys. And I think any epicness just comes out of uh, the fact that the three of us just nerd out in a very <laughs> synchronous kind of way about the same stuff. And I, I give full credit to that chemistry, and I will I refuse to take any credit for myself for the epicness. I'll give credit to your cat. Uh, thank you. Thank you, monster. Good boy. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, everyone, thank you so much for listening. I hope this episode was the place to be for you. We brought it home. Nicely done. <laughs> and we'll talk to you all again very soon. Thank you again. Bye-bye. Bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. My my captain's hat fell off. We didn't even talk about the box of teeth, but I'm sorry, go ahead. Yes. May the force be with all of you.